Warriors, I hope you are having a great Thursday. There is no mountain God cannot move in your life. And if you just trust him with the big stuff, he is so faithful. Welcome to Light in the Darkness. This is my second episode. First episode was all about introduction to why testimonies are important and why I'm choosing to do this podcast. I could give a title to a book that would be basically a book version of this podcast. For my own testimony, I would have to label it Angels in the Shark Tank. If you've ever seen a shark tank where they take the scuba diver and they put him in the shark tank and they put him down in the ocean, the scuba diver can see the shark and sometimes gets very up close and personal with the shark. There's only a few metal bars between the scuba diver and the shark and it can get really, really intense. But I would say 99% of the time, those bars still keep the scuba diver completely safe. And that scuba diver should be safe the entire time they are down there with the sharks. Kind of the same way God has always had his hand over me. God has always protected me. I have always been safe with God in the trials that I have been through. So as part one, if I say angels in the shark tank, that's what I'm referring to. There was definitely angels in my shark tank and there will be angels in my future shark tanks. Part one, um, I want to start off with had a great childhood, um, was raised, like I said, in church, was raised with a bunch of believers who had generational strength in the Lord and generational blessings and generational callings. Uh, just had a good childhood in my early years. My dad said that there's been a few times where he could feel spiritual warfare in our home when I was a little tiny baby uh, trying to attack me. He would say, start saying prayers out loud. I think he threw a Bible at the door one time to get the spirit to leave our home and he could hear and feel the spirit fleeing. So I was just so blessed to have dad as a spiritual giant in our home. Another spirit we had in our home was um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. My mom had paranoid schizophrenia and she was diagnosed a little while before I was born, maybe a year or two, and she had medication, but then she would go off medication whenever she would be getting better, and the symptoms started to kind of go away. A lot of paranoid schizophrenics do this. This is very common. They will take their medicine, and things will start to get better, and they'll start to kind of feel sane again, and things will be going well, and hey, I don't need my medicine anymore. So this is what she did was about four or five years old when I really knew something was going on. I don't remember details, but I just remember her always being worried, her being stressed a lot, her always being afraid, and dad always being the one telling her that it's okay and that whatever she was afraid of wasn't going to happen or wasn't real. I don't remember phrases like it's all in your mind or this is just your Ill illness. I don't remember words like that. I just remember him being, this is all right, this is okay, this, it's not what you think. I remember him in a compassionate, caring way using logic to explain why whatever she was believing at that time, why that was false or why that was not happening. So they did have lots of um, conflicts, we'll call them. Kathy would get a call from a telemarketer and she would get a call from different places or different agencies, kind of like we get today with telemarketers and everything. Everybody gets the, your car warranty is almost up call, stuff like that. But she would think it was people spying on her. She would think 
other people were paying this person to act like a telemarketer and spy on her. So we lived in an apartment for a long time. We moved when I was five into a mobile home, kind of in the suburbs. And whenever we moved there, I just remember being so excited because I could run around and I could be a kid. And in the apartment, we had this grouchy old man that would always come up and yell at mom and dad about me running and all the noise that it was causing him. So that was a really cool um, transition. It was a happy time. And then not too long after we moved in the trailer, we still got more calls. We still got a new environment to tackle and transition and everything. And that really made uh, my mother's paranoid schizophrenia flare up. I remember her mom coming. Her mom had some really, really bad diabetic problems that eventually took her life. And she was over a few times, and we just had a lot of family over when we first moved. But then things started to get kind of bad. I remember one specific morning. We would always go to church together. We'd always get ready together. We'd always go in the same vehicle. We'd always have good talks or sing or play songs or just play around, just be silly on the way to church. Or mom and dad would talk whatever the morning called for. This particular Sunday, they were fussing back and forth, and I couldn't really understand. I wasn't paying attention. And I was brought to the kitchen where they were talking, and my mother asked if I wanted to go try a new church with her or if I wanted to go to church with Dad. We were heavily, heavily involved with the church that we were going to at the time. We were part of the leadership. Um, We did a lot of the events. We were faithful members. We were always there heavily involved in the worship team, and that was our home church. We were very plugged in, very a part of. It was in a part of inner city St. Louis, so there were lots of ministry opportunities to gangs and kids that lived in the actual ghetto. Like, it was a bad neighborhood, but this church was really making a difference. And Kathy wanted to go to a different church, so I'm five. I know what our church is like. I wanted to go see a different church. I had no idea what I was getting pulled into. I had no idea what that decision would lead to. So I went with her to a different church that morning. And little did I know that was a very, very major day in their relationship. Um, Dad went on to his church and Kathy went to her church. And the next big event that I can really remember is coming home and all of the furniture was gone. It was different furniture. It was furniture that didn't match. We had all matching beautiful furniture and the furniture dad had was old and it was weird and it had funky patterns on it. It was just odd to me. Um, Grandmother with diabetes had passed away just a few months before. There'd been a lot of conflicts just nonstop with my parents and dad said we were going to go to a new place where I would where I would live with Kathy. I went on to um, visit this place. Her new apartment was about 20 minutes from where he lived. This was a big apartment. The apartments that we had lived in before were small in comparison. These were like three-story apartments, very, very big complex right off the highway. I can still remember so plainly getting out of his truck and walking down the stairs to the basement level apartments and opening the door and there is all of the furniture from our trailer. I remember thinking, why is all of our furniture at this place? They talked to me about not living together anymore and I've always been daddy's girl. My father, my father's relationship with me is that of a film. Like think of The Little Princess from the novel. And it was the 96 adaptation. That father-daughter relationship 
was me and dad my entire childhood. He's always been my protector. He's always been the one to make the bad day good. He's Even if we didn't have any money to do anything, dad could always come up with something silly or fun or interesting to do. And dad just always made everything better. And he knew me. It wasn't just my problems. He knew how to talk to me about my problems. He helped me verbally and mentally process my issues or whatever I was going through or he helped me problem solve and learn how to problem solve. He just, he was everything to me growing up. So the idea of not living with him and just living with Kathy, who I knew was off, something was wrong, though I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't describe it, but I knew mommy wasn't right. Mom, There was something wrong with mommy and I had no idea what it was. She did not come from a family that resembled my family. It was a little different, and I think that she just didn't know how to be a mom. I don't think she was ready to be a mom. She had me when she was 20 years old, and she got married to dad at a very young age, late teenager. And as a 20-year-old, she had all these ambitions, and she had all these things she wanted to do in life, and she had a baby, and I think to her that kind of put a damper on things. Um, I can't imagine being a mother at 20 years old. I was having the time of my life at 20 and had more single years to enjoy before I got married, settled down and everything. So I think it was kind of an identity crisis. And by the time I was six, she was 26. So she was coming up on 30 and I turned 30 not too long ago. And I can kind of looking back, see where she was at that time and see where her mindset was. So we moved into... We moved into the apartment, and then there was the custody battle. And the custody battle was, she wanted me to live with her. He wanted me to live with him. She wanted me to live with her because she's the mother. And I understand that mother instinct, but she didn't really have a true mother instinct. She just kind of had the knowledge, I'm the mother, so I should have the baby. And dad was trying to get me custody of me to protect me. Because he knew how she was, especially since she wasn't taking her medicine anymore. The possibilities were endless. I think around that time, um, she had taken me to in the car and she was going to move to Colorado. My family had gone camping a lot. They, they took trips to Colorado every summer and that was a happy place for her. So she was just going to take me to Colorado and we were going to start a whole new life there. And thankfully, dad tracked her down and... I'm not sure about the details, but I've heard several different versions of that. But she would just do crazy stuff like that. And I don't mean to use the word crazy, but it was just things that you don't do. There was that fear of what could she do? What, where would it end? Where, who would hold her accountable if she were to do something offlandish with me? And not have any accountability, not have any contact with anyone, and just go do something if she had a wild hair too. Which she often did. So there was the custody battle. I remember going back and forth. I hated going with Kathy, and I loved going with Dad. I felt safe with Dad, and he always played with me. Kathy, not so much. She took care of me. I was never hungry. I always had very nice clothes on my back. I always had toys everywhere I went, but she just didn't have that loving tenderness. She didn't have that mother instinct. She didn't have that relational ability. She couldn't connect with me. She didn't know how to help me the way I needed help. She didn't know how to talk to me as a child. She kind of wanted me just to be a little adult, and that's how she treated me. Oh my goodness, I loved Barbies back in the day. And she wouldn't play Barbies with me, and I just remember begging her to play different things with me. 
Um, I was an only child, so there were no other siblings. It was just me, and she would be doing her own thing, and I'd be doing my own thing, and that was just kind of my time with her. And with Dad, we were always doing something together, just quality time galore, just always doing something together. And even if we weren't doing something together, I still felt part of. I didn't feel like I was just pushed off to a corner. I didn't feel like I was babysitting myself. I was in school at this time. I think I was in first grade. And I was going to a daycare. And the daycare happened to be right across the street. You could literally see Dad's trailer from the the daycare center. And it drove me crazy that I had to go there every morning because I could just see Dad's house. And I wanted to go there so bad. That was my safe place. Uh, It was the morning that they were going to court to decide who I would live with. So I remember Kathy driving me there. And there again, it was about 20 minutes. And on that 20-minute drive, I said, and I'm a kid. I'm so dumb. I didn't know what I was saying, what I was doing. Hey, Mom, when you see Dad, tell him I hope that I get to live with him. And I'm sure I did not help her. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I did not help her confidence or her ego. She said she would, and she takes me and drops me off at daycare. And we had stopped that morning to get breakfast, and we never stopped to get breakfast. She always made me breakfast. It was either like oatmeal or cream of wheat or cereal, pop tarts, just some quick breakfast on the go. Because we used to get up really early for her to get to work and drop me off at daycare and everything. I'd only been there at the daycare for about 10 minutes. I was still eating my little biscuit or whatever I was eating that morning. And the daycare worker comes in and clears all the other kids out of the room. And here comes my dad. And I'm just sitting at this table all by myself, and it was a giant room. And I was so excited to see him. And he asked me if I would like to go to the court hearing with him and be a part of that. And I said, well, mommy mommy said I couldn't go. And he said, well, I'm here and I'm telling you, you can go. This, you're the whole reason that we're going to be here. So you are the main person that needs to be here. This is a great example. He was considering me. He was asking me how I felt, what I wanted to do. And that was an option that I never got with Kathy with hardly anything. And he got down on his knees and he got on my level and he put his hand on my back and was soothing me. And, and I, I just, yeah, I want to go, sure. So we go, and it's a big building, and if you've ever been to a court hearing over a child, especially in the 90s, you know how the story plays out. Um, Her family, the people that she brought to testify for her, all claimed that she was normal, that she was sane, that she didn't have any problems, that she was a great mother. The people that were there for father said that dad was a great person, that he was the leader, did dip into her mental issues. And the judge even asked me, brought me in there with everyone else out and asked who I wanted to live with and had me answer a bunch of yes, no questions. Now looking back, it was so unfair to have a five or six-year-old be asked yes or no questions only without explanation. I remember him asking questions and in my mind, there were just so many gray areas. It wasn't a yes or no answer to what he was asking. And I've always been a big stickler for being honest and being as truthful as possible and doing the right thing. So I guess I didn't answer right or I don't know what happened. But there again, it was a divorce um, custody battle and the child went with the mother no matter what at those times. So I went with my mother and I remember them telling me and I just screamed at the top of my lungs because I did not want to live with her. 
and it broke my father's heart. It broke everybody's heart from my dad's side. And my mom's family was still worried. Like, yes, she had won custody, but they were still worried about me because they knew how she was. They had seen her her bad times over the years, and they knew that she wasn't quite right, that there was stuff wrong, but not enough wrong for me to go live with dad. So whenever I was with Kathy, it was a very, very sad place. So I would miss dad all the time, obviously. And I would start crying for him, or I would just start begging to go see him, begging to go see him, begging for time with him, um, wanting him to come over to our apartment to spend time. And I guess she didn't know how to handle it, or she she just didn't know what she was doing or something. But she would ground me. And grounding consisted of me sitting on my bed with no toys. And she would leave me there for so long. I remember so many times just falling asleep. And then I would wake up and if it was daytime, it would be nighttime. And if it was nighttime, it would be super duper early in the morning. She would just leave me there for hours. Now looking back, like that did so much damage. That made me feel even more alone. That made me feel like I was doing something wrong. That made me feel like she didn't care. And to a six-year-old, especially a six-year-old little daddy's girl, like that just broke my heart. So when I was seven on Easter, uh, I was loved the big comfy couch and I wanted a Molly doll. They had just started selling the little Molly clown doll plush toy and dad got me one and that little doll meant so much to me. I can remember every detail of getting her and I can just remember what she meant to me and I slept with her and she went everywhere with me. Some kids have imaginary friends that they do everything with, and I had Molly, and Molly was my everything. So if I would start wanting dad, or if I would start giving her a hard time because I didn't want to be there, she would take Molly away, and that meant she would put Molly up on top of the cabinet where I couldn't get to her, and I would have to sleep without her, and Molly was like my lifeline. As long as Molly was there, I could kind of feel like dad was there in a way. And to a a child in a neglected or abuse situation, that was like stabbing me in the heart with a knife. Like, you just did not take away my Molly doll. If I didn't have Molly, that was my security blanket. That was my sanity back then. And I just felt lost. And I I didn't know it because I was so little, but I would have anxiety attacks over her taking Molly away. I couldn't breathe. I'd get all shaky. I would literally have a little child meltdown. If Kathy did take me to somewhere like skating or the park, she would always let me go skating, but she would sit on the sidelines. If we went to the park, she would never play with me. If we went anywhere or did anything for a kid, she was there but not present. I still felt very alone. Um, If we went swimming, our apartment had a swimming pool, she would let me swim, but she would always sit on the chair and sunbathe or listen to the radio or something. I was always by myself with her. If I was doing those same things with dad, dad taught me how to skate. Dad was right there with me. If we went to the park, he was swinging on a swing or he was doing whatever I was doing. If we were at a pool, he was definitely swimming. Um, Kathy was healthy. Kathy was very fit. She was very thin, beautiful woman. And there's no reason she couldn't have done those things other than the fact that she just didn't want to. Um, There again, that's part of, I guess, her... Her background and her not being nurturing, her not being, having that mother instinct, I don't, I can't really describe it. I don't know what she thought would happen or why she couldn't do it more, but anyway. 
We had a strict schedule at Kathy's house. We got up every morning at 5 o'clock and we had to be out of the house by 6.30. We had to be at my grandmother's at 7, 7.30ish. And then Granny would always take me to school. And school started at 8. So we probably got to Granny's at 7 and then Granny got me to school at 8. Um, some mornings would be earlier. We'd get up at 4.30 so Kathy could get to work on time. I eventually stopped going to daycare and we started going to Granny's house. And then after school, Mom and Dad finally worked out to where I could go to Dad's house instead of daycare. So that helped out a lot. That gave me an hour or two with Dad after school and then go to Kathy's house in the evening. This was both a good thing and kind of a bad thing because once I was at Dad's, I didn't want to leave Dad's. There would be days where she would pick me up and I just would not want to go. I didn't have the didn't have the mental strength for it. I didn't have the emotional strength for it. And I just wanted to stay at Dad's house and be happy all night and not feel all those bad things I felt at her house. So I would hide behind the toilet. I would hide behind the shower curtains. I would hide in little cabinets and little small spaces. There would be some nights where she would consider me staying with him an extra night. Back then it was, he had me every day after school on Thursday nights and every other weekend starting Friday nights through Sunday evening. And I would always want that extra day or that extra night. And a lot of times she said no. And that resulted in me being forced into a car, them having to carry me or push me or shove me or however they could get me into her car. And I would scream and I would cry and I'd put my hand up against the window just longing for another five minutes with dad and five minutes away from that terrible place. And that was almost, that had to be every other day if it wasn't. 99% of the days and looking back like I'm sure that made her feel bad and that made her feel like a bad mom and it was just a messed up situation a lot of times it was a quiet ride home as soon as we got home I would do homework and then Kathy would cook dinner we would eat dinner I would get in the bath and I could play for maybe a half hour and then it was bedtime so it was super duper early bed another major thing was holidays so if it was mother's day if it was father's day if it was her mother's birthday her father's birthday a lot of holidays were spent with kathy crying in her room and she would lock her bedroom when or she'd lock her bedroom door and i would be playing in my room where i'd be watching tv and a whole day would go by and i wouldn't see her and knocking on her door or telling her that i was hungry and her coming out and making me a little quick sandwich or a quick lunch or making a pizza or something and then her going right back to the room and I could just hear her crying and I mean that was hard as a kid um I didn't understand what was going on at the time I didn't understand her pain I didn't had no idea what she had been through and it was just hard to know hey I could be at dad's right now or if I was at dad's he never does this or it was just very difficult growing up with her as a mother. Um, She was a Christian. She was very, very active in church at one time. And the older I got, the less she cared about church. We started going to a different church that was closer to her apartment. And sometimes she would just drop me off to kids' church and I wouldn't see her. And then she'd come pick me back up and she wouldn't even be going to church herself. She would just be dropping me off because that was still something important to her. That was still something she wanted me to do, but she didn't want to take part anymore. And then I remember conspiracy theories that she had. She loved 
Amy Grant, and Michael W. Smith. Those were her two absolute favorites. She had met them several times. Um, she always listened to their CDs and on the radio, cassette tapes at that time. And she got to a point in her mental state where she thought that Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith were paying people to mess with her. Or if she lost a job, she thought Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant were trying to to mess with her life or trying to get her in trouble. So if something bad happened to her, she thought those two and my dad were messing around with her. And she truly believed this. And just I remember her having these crazy ideas that were not true, that were part of her illness, that were taking things that she loved from the past and distorting them in her present state. So things that she really loved, movies that she really loved, uh, actors, actresses that she really liked, somehow they got twisted in her brain to all be against her, and that was the paranoia. So I remember hearing these famous names and Kathy saying that they were against her, they were trying to mess with her, they were ruining her life, or they did something to her bank account, or just different things. And it was weird, because I knew they weren't true, obviously, but she really truly believed it, so it was difficult. There again, life with dad was completely opposite. Uh, we lived in St. Louis, but there was a, all of our, all of my dad's family, all of granny's relatives were from a town about an hour and a half south of St. Louis in the Farmington, Missouri area. And we would go there a lot. So that was seeing family, that was being with other kids, that was being near our home church. Like I had mentioned in the last episode, my great-great-great-grandmother actually started the church. And from there on, um, they had babies, and then their babies went to that church, and their babies went to that church. And it was just a church full of blood family, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> That's not always a great thing. But anyway, it was always fun to see family and just be surrounded by lots of family. And they had all known Kathy from the good days before she had her breakdown and before she had become what she was. As a child, I just had to accept that the divorce was not my fault, that Kathy could not be could not be helped. She didn't want help. And she, this was all, this was on her. And people had tried to help her before, but she refused help blatantly and many times. And accepting that this was going to be life for a while. I'd go with mom and then I'd go with dad. And I always prayed every single night that I would get to live with dad. And that was my prayer. And that was my that was my one wish. That was my birthday wish every year. That was my Christmas wish every year. I just wanted to go live with dad. I remember just praying different prayers over the years, praying for her in the capacity that a six, seven, eight-year-old can pray for their parent. And I remember just being surrounded by prayer with my dad and my grandmother and his family and just everybody was praying for the situation to work out. And some of my friends had divorced parents, and some of my friends' parents got back together. Um, Parent Trap was the famous Lindsay Lohan movie, and that came out in 98, so I was eight years old. And I loved that movie, I, just because it was a fun movie, but also just the idea of mommy and daddy getting back together. That just really struck a chord with me. And that was just kind of my prayer as a child. Like that was my main thing. I want mommy and daddy back together because it's scary when I'm not with daddy. And when I'm with mommy, I'm sad. And it was just a hard time. But the plus side, I'm always going to give you a plus side. At the end of every episode, there is a plus side. My dad and grandma, granny, 
were such a huge support to me. And I know there are so many kids who grow up in bad situations that don't have any support system. They don't have anyone to go to and process things. They don't have anyone to tell about the bad times. They don't have anyone to be there for them. They don't have anyone to have good times with after a time, uh, after bad times or after a few really stressful days. My dad and grandma did everything for me. And looking back, I'm just, I'm so blessed that they were there. They would always go do stuff with me. They were always there at every little turn. If I forgot Molly, oh my goodness, I forgot Molly so many times. We'd be from one house going to another and, oh, I don't have Molly. Dad and Gran would always meet halfway and give that doll back to me because I had to have that doll. But I'm just so thankful. And even still to this day, Dad and Gran are still with me and they're still so close to me. And they truly are the reason that I made it through everything that I just told you and everything I'm about to tell you. So I just want to say a prayer and encourage you that no matter what you are going through or your childhood traumas or your childhood tragedies, your childhood grief, the damage that was done, maybe you had a terrible childhood. Um, God heals that. God can take those things away. God can give you hope for your future. Maybe your past wasn't good, but that's not who you are now. And that's not who, that's not the life you have to live in now. Even if that happened, that doesn't create an absolute destiny for you. You still have control over who you are, the people you surround yourself with, your support systems. I've seen counselors throughout my life, and a lot of it has been through childhood trauma where it messes with me processing certain things now, or if I get to a certain level in stress, because I handled so much stress continuously as a child, I can't always handle my stress so well as an adult, and counselors help me work that out sometimes. There is no shame in that, and then there's the almighty healing counselor. There's God that is on our side. If you look at statistics, if you have parents who are divorced, if you had a parent with a mental health issue, if you had a history of a parent being neglectful or abusive towards you, your adult life is supposed to be this mess, and I know for so many it has been. Somebody that, somebody else that could have grown up in the exact same situation as I did, but did not have Jesus. I don't, I don't know where they are in their life, but I am so blessed to be where I am. I still have most of my right mind. I still have this great support system. I, I didn't let it beat me, and I could have. And I could have made that the rest of my life. I had a crappy childhood, so the rest of my life is just going to be a horrible mess. But for the grace of God. So, I just want to encourage you, if you did have a troubling childhood, if, if you are still dealing with things in your adult life that were caused because of things that happened in your childhood, there is hope. So, Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you, God, that the mess that we were in in our past, the cards we were dealt when we were children, the things that happened to us that we could not control, whether they be slightly bad or the worst thing anyone could imagine, God, you can heal that and you want to heal that. And we come to you today as children, Father, telling you to take this hurt away and asking that you help us process and heal from the trauma and damage that was done before. And we pray for the people that damaged us be it intentionally or by accident, God. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their healing, God. We pray for them that they aren't who they used to be, that you would cause changes, that you would cause blessings, that you would cause attitude, mindset changes, God, that 
if it's a chemical imbalancement, God, that you can heal that. There's not hope lost for them. And I just pray that you would help those who do need help to seek it out when they need to seek it out. That you would put people in their paths, put people in their lives, God, that can help them through this. So many times you put people in our lives that have gone through or are going through the same things that we are going through. And those people let us know that it's going to be okay and that you worked a miracle for them and that you will get us through the situation that we are in. I pray that you would help the people listening that had rough childhoods. Use them, Lord. Let them be used by you to help others, God, who may have gone through terrible things as a child and they don't know Christ. Pray that you would let the listeners of this podcast be the light in the darkness of someone else, Father. We praise you and we thank you and we ask that you would just protect us throughout this next week and put people in our lives that would bless us and put people in our lives that we can be a blessing to. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll have new episodes every Thursday. Be the light in the darkness around you. You are going to be the only true Christian that some people ever meet. Have a good one. Blessings.